0: And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. If you will pray with me this morning. Sovereign Lord, we see your hand at work throughout your word. And we see a snapshot of your work in this passage. You worked in the lives of those in the early church, Father. I pray that you would do that same work among us today. That as your Holy Spirit moves, people would be saved. That as you work in your church, people would be in awe. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I've been looking forward to today for a while. Uh, I always enjoy it when we can get together as a church body and fellowship. And as you know, today, after church, we'll be doing that. We'll have a a meal together in the Family Life Center. We'll have time just to to hang out and spend time together. It's important for families to do that. It's important for a a church family to sit down and have a meal together. It's important for for families to sit down and have a meal together. I I commented on that a few weeks ago in a sermon, and and I believe that it's true. And yet, it, it certainly has its challenges. Uh, in our home, the challenge to family meals is this: uh, uh, between my wife and I and our four children, we, we have six extroverts. Uh, we we have six people uh, who want to share about their day. And so, uh, if I say when we sit down, "Tell me about your day," and I'm not specific as to who, all of a sudden, everybody just starts talking at once. And uh, it's kind of like a scene from the New York Stock Exchange on the floor there where everybody's screaming and yelling and, and trying to get their orders in. That's kind of what it's like when, we're, when they're all talking. And, and there's so many voices, and some of you parents may identify with this, that in the midst of that, you, you really have a hard time uh, figuring out who's saying what. And so uh, you just sit there, and you nod, and you smile, and uh, you really don't know what's being said. Uh, there's just all these voices coming at you at once. Uh, well, I think that that's an illustration a bit of what we see in the life of the church today when it comes to what the church should look like. Uh, there's a lot of voices. Uh, there's a lot of people who have different ideas about how the church should be structured and what it should look like. Uh, and there's certainly no end of voices that tell us how we can better market the church and promote the church. Uh, uh, my mailbox and others here at church is full every week with Uh, A new idea, a new promotion, uh, a new way to have a spiritual breakthrough in our church, to see all kinds of things happen in our church. And and it's kind of like that dinner illustration. It's just all these voices. And my fear is that if we're not careful in the life of the church, uh, we miss out on the voice we need to listen to. Uh, The primary voice, which is of God, His Spirit, and His Word. Where He has told us plainly and He has told us clearly uh, not a gimmick, uh, not a program, not four steps, five steps, twelve steps where he has plainly told us what the church needs to look like. And we see an example of it in part here in Acts chapter 2. So what I want to do uh, this Lord's Day and next is, is talk then about what, what are the expectations. Uh, what are the expectations that we have as a church uh, of our membership And what are the expectations that as members of a church we should have uh, for our church body and its leadership? And so today, we're going to focus on expectations of church members based on what we see here in Acts chapter 2. And the first one we're going to look at is this. It's fairly foundational. Expectation number one is biblical faith and repentance. Uh, Meaning that that the primary expectation we have when someone comes into our church, uh, someone comes to be a member of our church, Uh, foundational is that this is a person who has biblically placed their faith in christ and who has repented Uh, and this is something that as foundational as it is uh, we need to be careful that we don't just skip over it Uh, you see in this passage we looked at uh, verse 42 and they we need to start by asking who are they Well, when you read all of Acts chapter 2, you see that they specifically refer to uh, the Jewish men, uh, devout Jewish men. Scripture would call these men God-fearers. These were religious men who had gathered there to see what is taking place at Pentecost. And in that uh, context, Peter shares with them the gospel. And if you remember from last week, their response then is, what do we need to do? Now notice what's happening here. These are religious people. Uh, These are not pagans. Uh, These are not godless people. These are very religious people. Uh, These are people in our culture today that we would look to and say, well, well, that person obviously believes in God, and and they have such strong faith. And yet, when they ask Peter the question, what do we need to do, Peter does not say, well, just keep on keeping on. Uh, Peter does not say, well, just press on in your faith. Peter does not say, well, will you believe? So just keep believing. No, what does Peter say? He says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. Peter helps them understand and helps us understand that the church of Jesus Christ is not for the religious. The church of Jesus Christ is for the repentant. They need to turn from their sins and we need to turn from our sins. And perhaps there's some of you this morning who are here who consider yourselves very religious Uh, who follow a set of do this and don't do this and, and you're a religious person and people look to you as a religious person, the scripture says that is not sufficient for salvation. The scripture says that religion will not save you, that you need repentance. You and I need the same thing. We need to come to a point in our life when in response to the scripture and the gospel, we realize that we are indeed a sinner, not just a bit of one, but completely lost and depraved, separated from God, but that Christ on the cross died for you and I, for our sin, not just for part of it, but for all of it. Not that He deserved death, but that we deserved the death. He died in our place, and when we repent and place our faith in Him, then we are made righteous, not because of us, but because of Him. Church membership begins with this foundation. And so friends, if we don't pay attention to that, If we just say, well, anyone who's religious can come in, then chaos ensues. And that's the chaos we have in many of our churches today because there's not a fundamental agreement on the gospel. But our first primary expectation we have is exactly that. It is that we agree and respond to the gospel. The second expectation then that we see moving forward from that is this, an expectation of faithful devotion to God's word. Notice here in chapter 2. They, who we just described, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Notice the very first devotion we see in their lives is a devotion to God's word. And yet just this week I was reminded as I was uh, reading one study that that was just done uh, by a Southern Baptist group among Lifeway And that study showed what many studies have shown for uh, years, and that's that as much as we talk about the Bible as Baptists, we are becoming more and more biblically illiterate. Uh, We are becoming more and more people who, while we may come to hear the preaching of of God's Word, we spend very little time reading God's Word on a daily basis ourselves. And that's why as we talk about membership and talk about covenant, Uh, One of the things that you'll recognize from our covenant is this statement. I will diligently train myself and my family in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, We need to be people who are committed to God's word. Who are devoted to it. Not just in theory, but in practice. You see, I fear that that we have become a people who, while we may very be very quick to say things like, uh, we support biblical marriage. Most of us don't know what the Bible actually says about marriage. Uh, Most of us, if someone was to challenge us and say, okay, well, can you show me chapter and verse what the Bible says about marriage? I had a conversation this week with a friend about this, and we were commenting on, if you tell someone who knows nothing about the Bible, uh, the Bible is to be your guide on marriage, and then they actually look it up, you're going to have some issues because when you read about marriage in the Bible and you go through the Old Testament, you find some very unbiblical pictures of marriage. Uh, You find some wrecks. Uh, You find some terrible, terrible examples. And so if we just say to a person, well, the Bible talks about marriage and you need to do what the Bible says, no. We need to take them to the places in the Bible that describes what God's intent for marriage is. But if we are not people of the Word, we cannot do that. We need to have that devotion. Uh, I am consistently convicted when I think about the devotion of some to spend time in God's Word. Uh, I've shared before an illustration that about in his book on spiritual disciplines. And the illustration, I hope, maybe that's getting y'all's attention. Boom! All right. Uh, The the illustration is this. Uh, There was a man that Whitney writes about who was from Kansas City and was a young Christian. Uh, And as a young believer, he had been in an accident. And this accident, sadly, had left him without his sight, uh, had left him without the use of his hands, had left him with a lot of muscle damage uh, in his face and in his hands. And so, uh, without his sight, he could not read. Without the feeling in his hands, he couldn't learn to read Braille. And yet, he had a desire, uh, a devotion. He wanted to read God's Word. Not just have it read to him, he wanted to read it. So he heard about a woman in England who had taught herself to read Braille with her lips. And so he ordered the scriptures in Braille and he started to try to read them with his lips but he soon found that that the nerve endings in his mouth had been damaged as well by the accident. And and so this man, with no sight, without the use of his hands, without the ability to learn how to read Braille with his lips, he taught himself to read Braille with his tongue. And when Whitney, Whitney wrote his book, he commented that uh, as of last count, this man had read the Bible cover to cover four times in Braille with his tongue. Uh, no one is asking you this morning to read the Bible in Braille with your tongue, unless that's the only alternative you have. We, we are blessed to have the Bible here in front of us. Uh, we are blessed with more time than we think we have. And we can be students of the Word, but we need to commit to it. We need to devote to it. We need to place accountability in our lives so that that might happen. See, it's very easy for me to get up here this morning and say, you guys need to read the Bible, but but I need to read it too, not just studying Acts 2 when I'm preaching on it. I I need to read God's Word, and and my life, like your life, is busy, so I, I have accountability in my life to read it. I have a good friend lives in another city who just recently, we've started texting each other each day, uh, reminding each other, keeping one another accountable specifically about God's Word. And so I'll just simply send him a text that says Genesis 17 through 21, and he'll send me a text basically just telling me what he read that day. And and that helps me. I I need that. Uh, There's been days when I've sat down in bed and I've looked at my day and realized how busy it was and realized I didn't make the time to sit down and read the Bible. I hadn't sent that text yet. Maybe I hadn't received that text yet and that has prompted me to sit down and read it. Uh, You need to look for things like that in your life that are going to keep you accountable because foundationally, as a believer, as a member of the church, we need to be a people who are devoted to God's Word. The third expectation that you see there before you is this, that we need to be people who are in consistent fellowship with one another. Uh, We need consistent fellowship with God's people. This is foundational to church membership. This is foundational to what the church looks like, is that we actually gather together. Notice again, all kinds of things are taking place in Acts chapter 2. This is not just a couple of dozen people responding to the gospel. Verse 41 says, they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they took these thousands of people and organized them in such a way where they were then coming together in people's homes. Probably not 3,000 in one home throughout homes, throughout the area, they were gathering together as believers. They were fellowshipping together as believers. They were breaking bread together. They were praying together, and God was working through them. Foundational to this idea of the church is the understanding that, friends, we need to gather together. And if we can't even show up, if we can't even gather together, well, it's very hard to do these other things. How, how do we keep one another accountable when we don't even know what each other look like? Uh, how do we encourage one another when we're not even close to one another? And so as we've come to this point in our church and we're talking about membership and what to do, again, this, this reminders in front of us. We, we have hundreds, hundreds of people who would say Bloomfield Baptist Church is their home, and yet they haven't been home in a long time. And I want to again say, that this is not a process where we are trying to run someone out or trying to push someone away. Because as I've said before, you you can't run someone off who's not here. Uh, This is a process where we are opening up the doors and say, remember us, this is where we are. Come, be here, fellowship with us. Uh, Heed the warning of Hebrews 10. As I read last week, Hebrews 10 says, listen, don't give up on meeting together as is in the habit of some. All the more as the day draws near of Christ. We need to come together. And so we read Hebrews 10 and we we take that as kind of a, a gentle nudge towards gather together. But when you keep reading Hebrews 10, it says some pretty severe things about those who refuse to gather together. It basically says that it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It, it talks about those people in Hebrews 10 as if maybe they're not even saved in the first place. See, this issue isn't just about filling up our pews on Sunday. This issue is about the care of souls. Uh, this is an issue about not giving people false hopes or false assurances. We need one another. We need fellowship with one another. And we need to do that in the context of the body. I mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this illustration of the body and how uh, your body, your parts are all dependent on one another. Uh, you know, your, your thumb doesn't get to church before you do. You all, you all show up together. You, it works together. Uh, we as a church are called to do the same thing. We are called to be a, a body working together. And what that means is that just like your body, the parts are dependent on one another. Friends, we in the church are dependent on one another. And that's not just you're dependent on the people in your Sunday school class. I mean, senior adults, you're dependent on the students in our church. Students, you need to be dependent on the senior adults in our church. Intergenerationally, we need to be dependent on one another. We need to work together. Some of you, by God's grace, have been married for, for decades. There's a lot you could teach some family in our churches, families in our church who are who are struggling in their marriage of a few years right now. Uh, some of you, when you hear me joke about uh, the chaos of dinner time in my house, you can remember those days as one looking back. And and you've seen your children raised in the encouragement of God and His Word, and, and they're doing well now. Some of us families with young children, we need to hear that from you. We need that encouragement from you. But, but sadly, so often in the church, we we've kind of become so segmented that you know, uh, this age group goes here, and this age group goes here, and, and we don't do things together. We don't fellowship with one another, and yet the Scripture says we, we need one another. Uh, Titus 2 says, older men, older women, you, we need you. Specifically, it says there that older women, one of your responsibilities in the church is to teach the younger women. We need to have those relationships in the church. And I was talking with someone not too long ago, one of our senior adults, and, and essentially what was said was, well you know I, I don't i don't think they want to hear from me and then i'll talk to one of the younger ladies and they'll say well i don't think they want to tell me anything and you know it's, it's we're both saying the same things we just need to sit down together and encourage one another in, in god's word that that's what the church is supposed to look like that, that's a foundational expectation is that we spend this time in fellowship and, and we've got to get away from this idea that the church is supposed to cater fit us something so specific you know if If Bloomfield Baptist doesn't have a Sunday school class for 18-and-a-half-year-olds who are left-handed, then I just don't think they care about me, you know. That's ridiculous. And yet that's where we're at in our culture. We think that this is supposed to just custom fit us like like a a custom uh, suit or something. No, the unique thing, the glorious thing about the church is God takes all of us misfits (laughs) who are so differently and awkward than one another, and he puts us together for his glory. This isn't to be a place where we're just together with people who look like us, think like us, uh, believe just exactly like we do in every uh, political and social matter. It's to be a place where we are bound by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is what unites us. To where the world looks and says, what do those two people have in common? And we stand up and say, "The, the glory of Christ and his gospel is what we have in common. And that's an expectation. We need to gather together. We need that fellowship with one another. Uh, next, uh, another expectation we see here from Acts chapter 2 is the expectation uh, of having service, serving one another, service that builds up the body of Christ. You see these people not only are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and not only are they fellowshipping with one another, uh, but you see as you read through this passage that they are, they are meeting one another's needs. Uh, verse 46 talks about how they have generous hearts. Uh, verse 45 talks about they're, they're distributing things to all as anyone has need. Uh, this is not a picture of, of communist living. This is a picture of the Christian community living. Uh, this is not a picture of people being dictated. Well, here's, everybody's going to make the same amount of money and here's how we're going to live. No, these are people, probably of very different means, coming together, bound by the gospel. And when a need is there, they're, they're helping to meet that need. And so again, that's why we have language in our covenant along these lines. Language that talks about serving other members of the body in love, praying for them, helping them in sickness and distress, promoting their spiritual growth, protecting them from sin, encouraging them to love and to good deeds. We do this not just by gathering together. We do this by serving one another. I'm so encouraged as a pastor, as your pastor, when I, when I see people serving one another we, we have a great group of men in this church deacons many of them love to serve i have been there with them watching them serve but again the question is how do we know who to serve how do we know what the needs are when, when our membership is so ambiguous there's some people we don't even know where they are we don't know what the needs are uh, every month we gather i gather with our deacons and our staff and our pastors and and, and we pass out updates, and, and our membership is divided into deacon family lists. So every deacon has a, a list of families that they then try to serve, try to encourage. And we've started putting a little star beside the families of those who haven't attended for a long time, some who we don't even have an address for. But again, they, they, they're on paper members. And, and honestly, it's kind of awkward handing out some of these guys' lists. And, and here's a list for you, and 80% of these people we don't even know where they are they they haven't been here in years how how do you serve somebody like that do we have to have a more biblical understanding of our membership so that we can do exactly what we see being done here in acts chapter 2 so that we can serve one another we can encourage one another and as we do that we see this last expectation i want to touch on and it's this uh, the expectation of sacrificial giving and living in light of the great commission Uh, My favorite thing about this passage is this last verse. It says as they're doing these things, they're praising God, and they're having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Not the latest ministry gimmick, uh, not their excellent programming, uh, not the book campaign or anything else. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see these expectations build on one another and as we're committed as believers to coming together and studying God's word together to to fellowshipping together to serving together as we're committed to these things notice the work that God does notice the fruit that he brings he brings salvation in the lives of people but friends he he does that as we live and we give in such a way to to obey his word and to see the great commission fulfilled we're the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Christ says go to the world. It, it costs money to go to the world. He says disciple people. It takes resources, it takes time, it takes effort to disciple people. And if you and I are going to be a part of something not man-sized but God-sized, then we've got we've to give and live in such a way that we see the Great Commission lifted up. We see the Great Commission not just something we put on a, on a banner somewhere, but something we believe and, and we live to that end. And it requires generosity. It doesn't require legalism when we say, here's the percentage and if I give this, I'm okay. It requires a generous heart. And I believe that as generous as you may think you are, God calls us to be even more generous. Uh, One person that always, uh, their generosity always struck me, somebody that God used in my life was Dr. Bill Bright. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, I mentioned before, Sandy and I served with that ministry for about, seven years i became a christian through campus crusade and i remember uh, dr bright when the opportunity came available to take the gospel into uh, what we now know as the former soviet union but take it into to russia uh, there weren't resources available and so here's dr bright the president of a, a ministry where there's all kinds of money that comes in through that ministry but all of it was specifically set aside for purposes and and he didn't want to take something from one gospel opportunity and put it to another. So he began praying that God would provide the resource. And he found out that in order to, to set up a, what they called a new life training center, a little, a little uh, basically a room where they could do evangelism, discipleship training for believers in Russia, it was going to cost $50,000 to set this up. And so that day he sat down and he looked at his pension fund. And here was a man in his early 60s and he realized he had $50,000 in his pension fund. And so he cashed out his pension fund uh, because he was living in light of the Great Commission. Uh, Every time I heard Dr. Bright speak, especially in the years before he died, he would say, I'm not retiring, I'm refiring. (laughs) Uh, He was just committed to the all-out global evangelization of the world, and he he lived that way, and God took care of him. I remember I I worked one summer at Campus Crusade headquarters, and I would see him come to work in in this 25-year-old car that was falling apart. Somebody gave it to the ministry, and that's what he would drive. Uh, He lived in a a townhouse there, just not much. Somebody gave it to the ministry and that's where he lived. God took care of all his needs. And friends, I believe God is going to meet our needs as well if we will commit to live in a sacrificial way, if we will give in light of the Great Commission, if we will give in a way that honors God and says, we, we, we are serious about the global evangelization of the world, about giving to things like the, statewide offering given to international missions but living in such a way that shows that we do believe that God is still in the business of adding to our number day by day those who are being saved that is what we expect from our members and if you look at your life right now and you look at these expectations and you feel like there's an area you fall short of the message this morning is not go home and try harder Uh, the message this morning is repent and have faith trust God seek him and he will provide what you need in order to live like we see live life lived out in acts chapter 2 if you'll stand with us we want to pray and and offer a time of response Uh, perhaps in this process god is calling some of you to come and and repent to have faith perhaps others he's leading you to come and and join our church family Uh, perhaps for some of you and God is convicting you today of something. There's an area you look at in the text. There's an area God's revealed to you through His Spirit that you realize is not as it should be. And you need to simply repent today. Place your faith in Christ. Tr- trust Him. Be empowered by His Spirit. Uh, don't vow to try harder. Die to yourself and have faith in Christ. That's the invitation. So if you will, pray with me. Father, we do pray, God, that uh, people will respond to Your Word. Lord, I thank You for the work that You're doing here at Bloomfield Baptist. Lord, I pray that we would see a work that's not man-sized, but it's God-sized. It's something we have to trust in you to do. Father, I pray that we would see people come to know Christ, uh, just as they did in Acts chapter 2. I pray that we would see people not just here, but all over the world, place their faith in Christ through this church, and through the people of this church, and through their commitment to your word. I pray we would see marriages restored. I pray that we would see families devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the world and the community would be in awe and wonder of what's taking place here as a result of not what we do, but of what you do. And I pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.